All right, welcome to the Knowles 24-7s on the Bench Podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. I got the OG lineup with us today. Chris Nee, Josh Newberg. Hello, fellas. Hola. Chris. What's up, Brendan? How you feeling today? I'm crankier than usual. Why? The message borders are being a pain in my butt. They're picking on me. God, new year, man. Just, <laughs> just release it. Be be new. Speaking of new year, uh, Chris had a new year's resolution to not be on the podcast. That was a joke. It didn't last very long. It did not. It did not. You know what else? Somewhere in a future contract, it says I have to do this. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, hopefully bosses aren't listening. Uh, speaking of uh, things happening quickly, Mike Norvell has been at Florida State for less than a month. Uh, we are recording this on Monday afternoon. On Tuesday will be the one-month anniversary of the Mike Norvell hiring, or at least to them agreeing to be hired. Uh, and he has his full coaching staff in place. When we had the podcast the other day, uh, David Johnson, we reported, was going to join the staff. And then there was a little bit of murkiness with Tennessee making a, like, a last-ditch effort for him. Some people got mad at us, but you know what we reported ended up being accurate. So I never gave that much credence. Like, like I, Tennessee that, was always going to come. That, after. That's the normal politicking of a job yeah. change, but he was coming to FSU. And, like that had been known for two weeks. That's not some right new develop. And and I guess the only variable was like, okay, well, how crazy can Tennessee get? I guess, but part of me and I, I was led to believe that after seeing the way that developed, that David Johnson probably that with this being his like first venture into like big boy negotiating, wasn't really expecting for the hire to go public before he even formed Tennessee. So I think that was part of it too, was, you know, he hadn't had conversations with Jeremy Pruitt and whatnot. Regardless, that's official. Uh, David Johnson completes Mike Norvell's 10 man staff. Uh, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on it. Cause Josh and I talked a little bit about it on the last podcast. Now this is official. What are your general thoughts on on the staff that Mike Norvell has assembled in a pretty quick period of time? It was an efficient hiring process. He got a majority of the guys he targeted as his primary target at those positions. You know, John, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, Papuchis, Papuchis was the one hire where it was kind of out of left field for people in our business. You know, that's not a name we were tracking. That's not a name we really knew before it happened. And it, when it happened is basically when I learned of him being an individual I should care about. Same here. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the only one where you were like, ooh, everything else pretty much went the way it was written, the way it was supposed to be, the way he intended it for to play out. Obviously, a guy like Silverfield gets a promotion, gets a head coaching job. You move mm-hmm. on to plan B. Atkins is a guy that emerged about 48, 72 hours before it happened as a guy we expected to be hired. So there were some movements like that, but everything – there never seemed to be panic in the room. Um, how good of a staff it is, I mean, yeah, I'm going to let that play out. I, I'm done making big prognostications. No, no you're not going to no, let it play out. We're throwing our weight around. No. Yeah, no, no, no. We're not, we're not going to let that play out. Did you listen to the last podcast? No, by of course not. <laughs> we revisited Josh and my uh, staff, uh, Willie Taggart's staff. Oh, I'm great. sure I said some stupid ass shit about that. We, <laughs> that was when I was in St. Pete to cover the uh, the East West Shrine game, and Jacob Pugh gave me some great gems about the end of the Jimbo Fisher era. But Josh and I uh, had the podcast in person. The staff was completed. We gave out grades. We said some great things. Josh's, I think my favorite one was uh, that Walt Bell was a no-brainer. <laughs> I also wrote a story, just the title of the story alone. Um, this staff is built to recruit. 
Man. Well, I mean, they were, but they, they kind of were. That wasn't the worst. I guess, yeah, now that I think about it, that's not the worst of the things that I probably well, said. That's a pass out, boys. We're talking about the present. Well, we gave our grades for that. <laughs> Mine was an A minus. Josh's was a B plus for that staff. It shows to us, like, what on paper something can make sense and then in actuality. Let's give some arbitrary grades to this Mike Norvell staff so people can listen to this in four or five years from now and make well, fun of us. I think the important thing is that Norvell hired the people he wanted to hire. And like we saw last time, when you don't have a staff that kind of makes sense, mm-hmm. wasn't one that maybe you wanted out of gate or the one that you you created in the image of what you expected to create, that doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. You, you can't have a discombobulated mess where guys aren't on the same page and some guys just feel like straight up mercenaries, which I'm not saying in a bad way about a guy like Kendall Browse and Randy, but those guys were mercenaries. They were brought in to fix an issue and they weren't Willie's guys. They were brought in for a specific reason. This staff feels much more like these are guys that Mike Norville wants to work with. So one would hope that the symmetry will pay off and that there'll be a cohesive unit that's on the same page in preparation and the way they go about constructing a roster and the way they go about game planning and the way they execute a game. Josh, do you want to give a, a grade so we can go back and hold you accountable in a couple years? Yeah, I said a B minus. I think the one glaring uh, hole in the staff for me is experience in recruiting, not only just the state of Florida, but the South Florida area, maybe B minus is a little harsh called let's for the record, Brendan strike me down as a B, a B? Um, okay. but yeah, I think moving forward, that's what we're going to want to see, right? It's a good mix of experienced and youth. It's a good mix of people that have been a little, along the way at different stops and have coached at different levels. They're not all from the same level. Um, but the one uh, area that I would be maybe mildly concerned about is how they're going to attack the South Florida area. And I'm sure Mike Norvell has a plan for that. And, I, and I'm not saying that in jest. I do think that something like that is thought out. Um, I think they're going to have Ron Dugans be the primary guy down there, but I think they're going to have to figure out how they want to attack it. So um, just in that, you know, nothing's ever going to be perfect across the board. You're not going to come in here and hire and, and, and just assemble a super staff with no question marks. So I, I think there's some obvious question marks, but for the most part, I agree with what Chris said. And I said something like that on the last pod that he got it together a whole lot quicker than Willie Taggart did. But at the same time, he was also patient. Um, he knew the moves that he wanted to make on the chessboard and he waited until those opportunities were there, meaning bowl games or early signing periods uh, to make those moves and everything along the way kind of went as planned. And if it didn't go as planned, he had a name um, on a sheet of paper ready to go for the, for the next guy up. So we saw those dominoes fall and, um, completed staff. Here we are, 2020. I agree with Josh in a recruiting perspective. I do think it's going to be interesting to see how they do as a group. You know, sometimes you hire a staff where you know you got guys who can recruit. Jimbo's first staff is one I always think of when I'm talking about that. You got a lot of really ultra competitive, well known recruiters, guys who you know are going to go out and be aggressive doing it. With this staff, you know, I think a guy like Kenny Dillingham has shown he has some recruiting chops. I think uh, David Johnson is certainly a guy that, you know, can recruit probably the main reason they gave him the title of recruiting coordinator. In fact, you know, I'm not as familiar with a guy like Chris Marv or Alex Atkins to know, can this guy go out and recruit, can he recruit at a top level? TJ Rushing's not one that falls in that category. I am interested to see. I think 
carryovers like Odell Higgins, who's obviously got a DMV footprint, can do some stuff in Central Florida. A guy like Ron Dugans, who gives you a foot in the door in South Florida, despite what some people say down there about the door being shut on FSU. It's not going to be shut on FSU. That's just downright foolishness. We got to get those a, people who want the door shut on FSU. They should have made sure more Miami kids came up to FSU uh, in the previous staff. The was here. door in South Florida hasn't been shut on anybody. In fact, the issue is that the door is so blown wide open that those kids are flying over the state in. line and going other yeah. places. Brandon, is it, is it possible for us to get the committee on the podcast later this week? <laughs> Who makes up the committee? I know Uncle Luke Uncle is Luke. the overseer, but who else Uncle is on Luke, that bunch? Then you got uh, John Drummond is definitely in there. And then I'm not quite sure. Oh, um, you had uh, Derek Gibson. He did, apparently. I didn't see what he actually said. I saw people said he deleted it, so I didn't see either. I mean, I get it. Telly, but, Telly's a beloved figure down there. He does great things down there. He's helped a lot of kids get out of that area, both as a high school coach and now in the college ranks. I like Telly. I was disappointed that Telly wasn't going to remain at FSU. I, in fact, told Telly that when I was communicating with him, when he let me know that he was not going to be on the future staff. But it's a big business, and that's what happens. And the FSU logo is still going to be able to go in South Florida and recruit. And, yeah, will be a bigger task because the relationships are different? Certainly. We know how much relationships matter, especially in that area. But to act like there's something going to be a border put up in South Florida and school's not going to go in, that, that's just foolishness. Hey, listen here. Uncle Luke delivered, what, the 1,078th best player overall to Florida State this year out of the South Florida area? So it's not like Uncle Luke was doing FSU any favors this year anyway. And he's probably said this about five different times. Um, but, yeah, Brendan, dial up. Get the committee members on the podcast. I got some questions. We'll hash it all out and uh, probably come to some some peace agreement as well. <laughs> well, we'll get Travis Johnson on it, too, because I think I think Travis uh, clapped back at them on Twitter either yesterday or, or today. You know, Anti-committee? We'll, we'll do a – I will reach out to people of, of should we set like an amount of five star reviews? You can have that, a, a South Florida said? summit, a South Florida summit on the podcast. Sounds like something that Josh is going to do exclusively. Yeah, yeah, Josh, Josh is feeling this right now. <laughs> the the hamster wheel on his head is just it's flying right now off the reel. It's almost, it's <laughs> I want to get all the committee members on and and yeah, all right, we'll do it. <laughs> I, I will say beyond the coaches, beyond the recruiting. With this staff hire, Bruce Warwick is a guy that interests me the most by a mile. I knew you were going to like that when I saw the hire. I don't know if I like. I do. I you, do I knew, think I like it. I knew but you were going to be intrigued by it. Yes, it's time for FSU to step up and play at a different level and run the program in a different manner. And that's both as a coaching staff and a university and an athletic department. And I'm hoping him as an individual who has a hell of a lot of experience at the highest level and who kind of understands what he's walking into will help them navigate those waters effectively. Let me, I want to rewind because I want to go broader about things that impressed us about the assembling of what we've seen so far in the first month of Norville, but rewind real quick to the recruiting conversation about Florida because it's the first time I've had both of you guys on the podcast simultaneously with the staff complete. Uh, the lack of ties immediately with Florida on the staff, I think some people are concerned about. Uh, just to play devil's advocate, though, FSU's last staff was built to recruit Florida. Uh, almost every single guy on the staff had some connection or another to recruiting the Sunshine State. Uh, I'll say this. I think if you can recruit, you can recruit anywhere. It probably has some uh, difference, you know, differences in different areas. Obviously, it's harder to get. Uh, Tim, Brewster, Tim Brewster showed that. A good example of right. FSU will never recruit South Florida after James Coley, Eddie Grant, Mark Stoops, after there was that 
uh, departure from Florida State, there was a uh, group of people, shout out Fish, um, that said Florida State would never land another top South Florida recruit ever again. FSU brought in Tim Brewster. People said, oh, Tim Brewster, he's not, you know, a Florida guy. He won't be. All right. Dalvin Cook, um, the, you know, the list goes on. They got Matthew Thomas that year. They got uh, Erman Lane. They started pulling kids out of South Florida one by one. And it wasn't due to Tim Brewster. It wasn't due to James Coley. It was due to the fact that FSU was on the rise. They were winning and the logo held weight. It's no yeah. secret. Yeah. South Florida kids are going to go to the hot hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you I mean it's a different. We've talked about this on the podcast plenty of times that it's a different sort of area to recruit. It can take time to get you know a foothold in there. But I think if you have a staff that is efficient at recruiting, you win games. Like that speaks for itself. After a while, well, one yeah. thing I'll say is that that FSU's current staff they've assembled without the lack of or even with the lack of Florida connections. Four of the guys that Mike Norvell has put together are recruiting coordinators or have experience as recruiting coordinators. There's organizational skills. There's guys who know how to recruit on this staff. And you build those relationships quickly. You get the kids on campus for junior days. You get their coaches on campus for coaching clinics. You have your doors wide open for people to come in and meet you. And in the spring, you get out there and you hit every school in the state and you make sure they know you. I mean, that's the key to it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it takes a little bit of time. We'll see how quickly yeah. they can do it, uh, and if you can give them something to uh, to sell to to these recruits too. FSU needs to win. That yeah, that's what, that's what we'll recruit Florida the best is yep. winning football games. Again. Yep, yep. Uh, you got to be efficient. You got to look like you're going in the right direction uh, and having incremental growth at a at a pretty steady rate. Okay, with the staff in place, we're a month into the Mike Norvell era. Almost uh, by the time many of you are listening, it will be a month in. I want to go around the 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 theoretical table here. What impresses you? And I know we're all impressed to, to varying uh, degrees. What impresses you guys the most about any singular one thing that coach Norvell has done so far? Josh, I will ask you that question first. Mm. The obvious ones would be putting together a staff since we just talked about it. For me, what has impressed me most is their use of the transfer portal and the fact that they really reach out to everybody and they almost like uh, make initial contact with almost everybody that reaches the portal and just say hi something very simple as hey just a hi because we've reached out to kids and said what have you heard from fsu oh they reached out and said hi and then there's a certain percentage of those kids that get another message there is a certain percent that never hear from fsu again but I appreciate what FSU is doing, which is just opening the lines of communication because you never know if you're going to need to double back and go after this kid or not. But once you establish that that high and he answers back and everything, boom, it's there. And um, just the aggressiveness. And I think that might be um, a little bit – it might show some more self, – a better sense of self-awareness from this staff, knowing how – how tough of a task that they actually have, that this isn't going to be something that they can come in and just fake confidence and do the chop and, and act like everything's going in the right direction. I it think to me, it shows that they know that they got their work cut out for them. Uh, and speaking of the transfer portal, Josh, I know we talked about the, the additions mm-hmm. with, uh, with Jay Sean Corbin and Devonte Taylor, just for our listeners, I got a chance to finally watch Devonte Taylor. I was traveling uh, when they had, you know, when they end up uh, getting him and announcing him. I watched him against Miami today. He's going to be the best tackle that they've had in probably five years since probably Roderick Johnson. Now it's not 
That's great on the pronostication alert. <laughs> it's not that we're great on the curve, but he, he has the most. He looks to be the most competent player they've had at the position in in half a decade. So I agree with Josh on the portal. I agree about the staff being put together quickly, but I'll go with the way he handled the quarterback room. You you don't win if you don't have good quarterbacks unless you have an elite defense, which FSU certainly isn't going to field an elite defense anytime soon. Um, the fact that he was willing to essentially, for lack of a better term, walk from the guy who was a bird in hand, and then he closes with two right in that tight time frame, including one who I think is a guy they really believe in, in Chubba Purdy, who can maybe be injected in there fairly early in his career. I think it was essential and extremely important. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch if anything else happens with the 2020 group at that position. You know, if they if Blackman makes some decision or they make a decision regarding Blackman and they add another, I think it will be interesting. Obviously, in a prior conversation with Mike Norvell, he said that they didn't intend to take a grad transfer. But you, me and Josh will know that can change. You know, that was if, the the if the dynamics of the quarterback room as it stands today mm-hmm. change, changes. Uh, I was well, real quick. Uh, the thing that impressed me most with with Coach Norvell, not just the staff he assembled, uh but the fact where he got guys from, so you're able to get Kenny Dillingham from a good job at Auburn. I think um, Chad Morris being available probably makes that possible. But to go get Chris Marv from Mississippi State, to get David Johnson from Tennessee when Tennessee really wanted to keep him, uh, to get Chris Thompson, who's a TCU alum, to come coach the position that he, you know, he's always coached offensive line, to get him to come coach tight ends. Uh, not just the staff that he's assembled and how quickly he's done it. And what I think looks like a pretty high caliber group on paper, uh, but convincing guys to take jobs that uh, I don't know if they're going to be taking pay cuts or whatnot. I'm not entirely sure how that's going to work out, but, but he sold himself on, on coaches to come work for him. And now you look at the support staff that they're putting together too, like Mike Trey from, uh, from Marshall, a guy who is a position coach. Uh, same thing for um, who's the the Memphis who was the tight end coach last year for Memphis. Uh, it's going to be Tony. Tony Sutt with the K. I can't. I, um, damn. Anyways, I shouldn't have brought him up if I didn't know the name. <laughs> Regardless, uh, there are guys who are willing to invest their careers into Mike Norvell, and that's telling to me. And I know some people are like, oh, no, I'm Memphis coach, or oh, like who's this guy? I, you know, coaches are only as good as they become to a degree. I think it was that impressive. Was well, I think it's impressive that he he knows who he wants. Like he, this isn't a guy going down a list of I want to interview these ten guys and make a decision out of three of them. And it's not that he knows who he wants. Well, and if, and if we're when when he was circled in as the guy we thought FSU was going to hire throughout the process, and admittedly I wasn't super high on Mike Norvell initially. But the more research I did, the more I saw positives. Uh, and I don't think that was a confirmation bias. I think they're legitimately you have to look into it. Even FSU's administration admits they didn't look into him closely enough the first go round. Uh, that's something that that David Coburn, I believe, said pretty adamantly on Thrasher. record. It was Thrasher a Thrasher said, said, yeah. uh, I think I Coburn asked said when he first thought of Mike Norvell, and he said, you know, I I thought of him in the first process, but we didn't really vet him and go after him, pursue him, or mm-hmm. evaluate him. And he said, in retrospect, he wishes he but, had. But my, my point, yeah, but my point being that if we're going to say that Mike Norvell's strength is evaluating coaches that other schools in the country end up appreciating and admiring his evaluation skills, and you kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt for the first staff. But it's a lot easier to work for a guy who you know believes in you. Right. And I think that's what they have with this staff is it's a group that Mike Norvell believes in 
to help him do what he would like to do at FSU. And I think that can go a long way. When the dog days are happening in the summer and you're struggling or you're in midseason, you're not playing very good football and you've lost a couple games in a row, the fact that you can walk in that room and know that the table, everybody at that table trusts one another, there's not a bunch of backstabbing about to go on or guys who are worried about their own causes – that Which goes was very much way. so the case with Willie's right. staff. And you, you can get away with having a staff that's at each other's throats, but if they better be ultra competitive and really good and, at their individual and great jobs. At what they're doing. That that's the other extreme of it. So sorry, do you want to add something to that, Josh? Yeah, I talked to a coach last night, actually, and we were talking about uh, Mike Trier coming over from Marshall, and he was telling me, you know why guys are doing that? Because I was like, you know, that's pretty impressive to get a position coach to come over as a defensive analyst, even if it is Marshall to FSU. Um, he's like, his guys get hired, Josh. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, his guys get hired at other places. He promotes from within. He hires his own guys. Like, you know, if you're one of Mike Norvell's guys, even if you're taking an off the field job, there's going to be a lot of movement and he's, he's already hired you once. He's going to probably promote you. You got a good chance to be promoted or getting hired away from another staff. So he was kind of saying that, you know, even though there's a lot of, uh, movement in in guys getting hired away there's also a lot of uh, work being done behind the scenes to bring guys on board and give them experience before they even step on the field so we could see some of these guys get promoted in the years to come josh real real quick uh i know we were starting to kind of get an idea of the support staff which is impressive chris mentioned uh, bruce warwick earlier uh we've talked about some of the other uh, analysts and and quality control guys too how one one question we're seeing a lot in the message board is how many more guys do you think they're going to continue to add to the staff? Like, is this mostly done? And what are you looking at for a timeline potentially as some of the positions that may still need to be filled or created? Yeah, I got a phone call early on from a good source that helped me throughout the coaching hire. And he told me that the recruiting coordinator would be the last hire. I think I might have talked touched on this on the last pod you did yeah so he told me that the recruiting coordinator hire was going to be the last one and here we are it's going to be the last one or at least very uh nearly and um i spoke to him recently over the weekend and was told that the hire will most likely be made after signing day maybe before but it's going to be mike norvell still looking for that guy uh that he wants to bring on as kind of the lead guy um I asked if any of the people on staff were going to be in that role. And I was told, no, all the hires that have been made are going to be team focused hires. Um, even, um, Lockley, uh, meatball, uh, trier, all these guys that we've, we've, uh, cited as coming on as analysts and stuff. They're going to be team focused. And I was told that it sounds like there's going to be anywhere from two, three, four main hires made in the recruiting office. Of course, there's, always student interns and you know the the office will be will be bigger than three or four people but to me it sounds like after signing day you could there could be anywhere from like two to four people hired as the main recruiting staff and it seems like that'll all be assembled then josh is talking about the off-field recruiting uh, coordinator not on-field obviously david yeah. johnson has the on-field title but he's talking about the person that's going to run the recruiting office one additional hire we expect in there, and it could be a person with multiple titles or a title that doesn't specifically point us out. Someone that can do high-level graphics and kind of handle that stuff it is important to Mike Norvell from what we understand. Um, the individual who did it for him in the past, we don't expect to be hired at FSU, but it is a position we think they'll go after somebody to 
kind right. of up the game for FSU. The way that they had it structured at Memphis was a little bit different than the way they had it structured at FSU. Um, some of the stuff that the yeah, so the details will be sorted out. We don't need to get into all that. And for that off-field recruiting coordinator position, I believe FSU's actually posted the job. So go ahead and apply now before <laughs> it's too late. Uh, that leads me to believe that'll be done soon, though. Usually, oh, don't don't drop your phone, Chris. Butterfingers. All right, one more question for Chris, and we're take a quick commercial break and do recruiting and wrap this up. You talked a little bit about the quarterback room. You were there at the Sun Bowl. You kind of saw it in person. Uh, I, I have a hard time. Like, I don't like to evaluate one game sample sizes and then being bowl games. With that being said, this wasn't the first time we saw James Blackman melt down on the sideline after a bad performance or I, during a bad performance. I just, I, I left uh, for the record El Paso was very enjoyable in some so had a nice day, didn't Out, outside of the actual game itself. Everything about that bowl was very enjoyable. Great host city. Good people that host it. And the game itself was fine. It just was an ugly mess. Um, it seemed like a fun, ugly mess, though. <laughs> it did, man. Let me tell you, checking, have we ever been shut out in a bowl game? It was a fun <laughs> halftime moment for me. As for James Blackman, I just think he's kind of done. Like, I, 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 I left the last game of this season with FSU thing, and that kid's kind of been what, – what was good about him, I feel like it's been ruined, and what's bad about him hasn't gotten any better. It's been magnified, if anything. Yeah. And I just – I almost wonder if you have to cut bait and move on and figure out who's your quarterback of the future. And I like James a ton. I personally like James a lot. I appreciate the hell out of him showing up to the post game there. He played dreadfully bad. He knew he had, he knew a large reason they lost that game was his performance and he owned it and he showed up and a lot of guys want to do that. So I, I do appreciate that, but I just, I don't have hope for his future in an FSU uniform. He had one coach who quit on him and another one who didn't believe him. Yeah, he's had three different coordinators. Four, technically. He he was behind a guy like DeAndre Francois, who, yes, is more talented, but is a less than desirable human being and not a guy you want leading your football team. Yeah, I I just, like, I get it. It's been a weird, twisting, turning story for him. But here you are closing in on the end of your college career, and I just don't think he's a guy that when you're trying to figure out the future for yourself, I don't know if he's a guy that can guide you. It, yeah, I guess I typically don't deal in absolutes. Go figure. I'm wishy-washy. But I, I don't think you have to move on from James to where you have to like tell him goodbye. No, I, and I agree with that. I don't think you're telling him, hey, go get in a portal. I don't think that's it. I just think there's zilch that's guaranteed to him. And truthfully, if you can come out of spring and it's a tight competition or you're not sure, but you think the young guy is capable enough, you go with the young guy. Do you think they should look – do you think it would be wise to keep exploring options in the transfer market right not now? Not if the depth chart remains as it is. You like, need someone – As far as be, bodies on the depth chart. It can't be Alex Hornerbrook, basically. Right. I don't, I don't, someone who I don't think you go transfer – grad transfer. If you think one of those freshmen coming in – and I'm going to say Chubba Purdy because I think that's out of the two, the one they feel has a better chance. Man, even be though nice Tate will here be here early. Spring. Yeah, that'd be nice. But if you think Chubba Purdy is your future and can lead you, and he's mature enough to handle the workload of a freshman and the up and downs that will come with playing as a freshman quarterback, if you think that's your guy and you have him, Tate, uh, Wyatt hangs around, you also have Jordan mm-hmm. and James, you don't need to go add a body to that and make it a more interesting sort of mess. If you think Purdy's your future, if you're not sure that one of those veteran guys in that room is going to be the one that guides you, go with the young guy who you believe is your future and go with it because you believe you have a staff here that's going to be here for multiple seasons with that guy and can develop that guy for multiple seasons. And you, 
I know everybody wants to win now. Mike Norvell wants to win now. You can sacrifice some of next year if it makes you better long term. To, to that point, yes. Uh, I was listening to uh, uh, I don't always listen to other podcasts. I was listening to an old cast last week, and Bud Elliott had an interesting point with Marvin Wilson and Tamari and Terry returning. Like, do you feel any sort of extra obligation to find something immediately at quarterback if, if you're not sure it's James? I, I don't know. No, you, I don't you, know if you do. That was you, an interesting conversation, though. It's about building it back up as a whole. I think you take you play a long game. You okay. you view it as what today makes us better long term, not what today helps us win today. All right, Josh, you got anything on the quarterbacks? I know we talked about it on the podcast. You and I uh, hit that break. Let's get All right, through. break, and then we're gonna tease some recruiting with the story that Josh wrote. On May twenty third, I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons, and now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season, streaming May twenty third, only on Paramount Plus. All right, we're back. Wrapping up on the bench with a little recruiting talk. I uh, want to go over a, a few developments with uh, the transfer market. But first, Josh, I think this will be a good way to kind of set everything up. You did an article on Knowles 24-7 over the weekend. Basically, it was FSU's top remaining targets. It was a look at positions of need, but with names to kind of put at those positions of need. Uh, and I want to talk to you about that. But, but first, I'm going to throw out a, a hypothetical for you here. You ready? Sure. We're going to see if you read the script or not on this. All right. So let's say FSU has about five scholarships to work with for for more or less like non-transfer players, either prep players or maybe maybe a JUCO transfer. So let's say they have five. One of those goes to Malachi Wyman, right? We assume they're keeping one for him. So let's say you have four scholarships to use. What positions essentially do you have to use? Like what are the most essential positions to use those four on, Josh? Mm-hmm. Well, I say offensive and defensive line, but with the targets that are legitimately available, I would scrap the defensive line. I don't think there's really any true, I mean, maybe Quincy Roche, but except from all intel that we've gotten since I wrote this article, it sounds like he's heading to Baylor. Um, So I would say offensive linemen, I would definitely go with Jalen St. John and Marcus Henderson. I think two of my four scholarships would go to those two. Okay. And then I would throw one at the Damian Webb. Running back. can come in and make an early impact. And my final scholarship. Hmm. I'm going to give it to DeMarcus Beckwith. Uh, Six foot four, six foot five, 215 pound hybrid wide receiver slash tight end. Um, I'm taking him as my final, my final, using that wild card on him with the okay. final spot. All right, Chris, do you have any thoughts on, on this hypothetical? I know you like playing games. <laughs> I think you take at least one running back. You take at least one offensive lineman tackle. You take a D lineman. If you can find the right one, either inside or outside that can help you. And then you use it on the best available remaining player, because you need to up the town on your roster as a whole beyond just filling needs. I agree with most of the names Josh threw out. I'm trying to think if there's someone else I would throw into that mix. Um, off the top of my head, 
No, so we're not. The, if we're not playing the, a grad transfer game. Yeah, who's the DB that they're bringing in? The first that Norvell offered. Uh, Donovan Kaufman. He's a talented dude, and he certainly fits what Adam Fuller wants in a guy of that sort. Just not sure if that's the position. Yeah, but sometimes, sometimes if you really love a guy, you take him because he's got it's going to help. You're going to play him all. You take 25 kids in a class, and it's a pretty safe bet that five to ten of them are not ever really going to help you. So if you're taking one who you fully expect to help you, you go ahead and take it. Uh, and me, Chris, me and Chris had an interesting phone conversation today. We both acknowledge and think that one of the biggest remaining question marks out there is where's this next D tackle going to come from? Because yeah. it's really important uh, that <laughs> Florida State get some talent at D tackle. Uh, next year is going to be really weird looking at that position, and the years moving forward are as well if FSU doesn't get some, some really talented players in here and I know it's late, you're not going to get an instant impact guy, but me and Chris were saying like 21, 22, those years are going to be, it's going to be real important to sign another D tackle this year. Um, 21 21 seems like you have to have a bona fide blue chip guy. If you want to be competitive. Yeah. You need to go for conference titles. Someone like you, when you signed Marvin, you need to hit home run like that. And, and Marvin coming back, I think, is huge in that regard because it gives you that one-year window still. I'm also interested to see how some of those body types are, now that they're going back around. to the 4-3 look, yeah. do they move Dennis Briggs inside and go ahead and just put right. the other 15 pounds on him and let him play from a leverage point? Because he can be good at it. Mm-hmm. He, he can handle strong side defensive end as an edge setter, but he's never going to be a great pass rusher. Or do you move them inside and have them use the upper body strength and the leverage he plays when be effective the, there? You got a guy like Coop who's here for a nod too, presumably. He's definitely inside. And then you know you're losing Durden and Wilson after next year, so you got to replace those guys. We assume Durden's coming back right. based on his, at this it, point. It hasn't like been an official announcement. Right. Yeah, we've, a bit of an emotional kid, but his most recent outward emotion on <laughs> social media was that he's returning. <laughs> there's it was a lot of swing though. There's a lot of yes. Uh, there's a lot of those tweeners uh, on the defensive line. I like the word tweener. You like that? Um, Briggs is interesting. Jamarcus Chapman's another guy, kind of in that. Uh, Fuller. Not Lamar if he comes back. He's in the portal. I don't know if we expect him back. Uh, yeah, it's the, the other the other issue though is if you're moving like Dennis Briggs, where you know he can play outside. Some of you're moving him inside, man. You don't have a whole lot of bona fide like. Pass rushers too. Yeah, but there's more edge guys available who are upper tier, in my opinion, in most classes traditionally. Oh yeah, on the recruiting trail, on the interior. Interior, you can find guys that can gobble up space, but finding difference makers, yeah, a little bit more difficult. Tougher, tougher. Mm-hmm. That's what usually sets apart the SEC schools and the Ohio States yeah. of the world. Yeah, Clemson, Florida State when it's an uh, SA game. Yep, you got to be good there. All right, uh, Josh. Anything else from that? article that you did on the top remaining targets. I know we kind of went over positions and whatnot there that you want to touch the on. The only thing that I would say is um, we, you guys can check that article out on Knowles 24 seven. We only included guys that I talked to Chris and Zach individually on this and um, only included guys that we felt were legitimately in it. There was mutual interest on both sides. So you might go look at this article and say, Oh, where's all the transfer names and all that. But like, we kind of broke it down and I know we got a couple more topics to hit on before the pods over, but we kind of broke it right down. And, and to our knowledge, you know, there's not really an offensive line grad transfer or, or portal guy that we can point to right now and say, okay, this is one that where there's strong mutual interest and the two sides are talking. Um, we also uncovered that potential linebacker transfer Cornell Jones, 
Uh, we've been talk- talking about him. He's he's uh, from Purdue. Potentially has two years of eligibility, but he's a little uncertain on when that would be. Um, we pressed him on, on more information, and he says that FSU's been in touch, and he's considering enrolling this spring as a walk-on. Um, he's calling it, he says if his appeals go through, then and he's eligible early, then he can potentially be put on scholarship. Um, we're still waiting for some clarification on that, but to his words, it looks like he, he could potentially be walking on this spring. And um, that's not all that uncommon. We saw just the other day, the, the Florida Gators landed a walk-on linebacker from UCLA. Uh, the kid was originally from Gainesville and is coming home and he's going to walk on for the Gators. So um, my guess though, is if he, if, if Cornell Jones makes it to campus as a walk-on, I'm not quite sure, you know, he'll ever be on scholarship at FSU, but we're waiting to see on that. One grad transfer name to bring up that developed right before podcast started recording is Devin Cochran. He's a 32 start left tackle in the SEC at Vanderbilt, who's a grad transfer with immediate eligibility. He entered the portal today. Don't know that at this point that FSU is involved. Coach Atkins and Coach Johnson both previously had followed him. Atkins followed him almost immediately, but a lot of coaches did. Yeah, and Johnson, I believe, has followed him for some time. That made dates date back to his recruitment he's a kid from the norcross georgia area he's a guy that you know it makes sense when you're looking out on mm-hmm. paper tj Storman's a guy we've talked about a lot you know at this point it doesn't look like fsu and tj are really talking i know he's supposed to visit purdue here in the coming days if he is making a decision in the immediate future it doesn't seem that fsu is really in that race with him based on what he has told zach um but you know we're we're about we're continuing to pursue the guys like the Stanford kids. There's been others. We're just trying to keep tabs on the transfer portal is a wild thing because man, some of it happens. <laughs> you think <laughs> some of it happens incredibly fast, and then some of it's kind of like it hits a wall and it stops. Or if they're you know a kid that enters it now, but they're a May graduate, then there's a whole lot of waiting, and you'll see those yeah, kids that's a good practices point, Chris. before they make a decision. The uh... The Peterson, what's his, what's his, the yeah. Peterson's it, first Josh Peterson, Josh right, from Louisiana, Doug Peterson's son, the head coach of the Eagles. Right, we left him off the list because he told us he's not enrolling till May, and there's just a lot of time between now and then. Um, he doesn't graduate from his school until the end of the spring semester, so he's not going to, he said he's not going to make a decision till then. So the transfer portal also doesn't end when, when signing day ends, this thing can keep going right now. We're seeing a flurry of action because there's a bunch of kids that are trying to get enrolled for the spring semester, but then we'll see a little bit more action in may when kids are trying to get enrolled in the summer semester, the fall semester. So it doesn't just stop at signing day. Like the recruiting does. Even the way the timeline works, like a lot of kids, like even in the next week or so, uh, when classes start, like they want to be enrolled in class and then weigh their options too sometimes. So Yeah, this week will be a flurry, especially from an FSU perspective, because drop ad ends, I believe, on Thursday. Mm-hmm. It can push a couple days beyond that, but not very much. Yeah, it'll be it'll be telling. Uh, and then ah. once by that this week goes by, then we'll have a better idea of what the roster is going to look like moving forward. All right, I think those were all the, the topics that we wanted to touch on. You guys got anything else? Basketball is really good. Okay, give him. How much time should we give him, Josh? Mm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up. So you can <laughs> go as long as you want. Josh is giving no, me no time. Don't, do not hang up because we're still recording it. Once you hang up, we can't record it. So Dude, there's just, ways around that, Brandon. Google it. You can find. Figure no, out. don't hang up. Don't hang up. <laughs> hey man, they beat Louisville at Louisville, and they didn't just beat them by a little. They dominated. With the, the basketball analysis, that's Chris Nee. This is Brendan Sinone, Josh Newberg on the Bench Podcast. We'll do a basketball podcast later, buddy. I always have Shem.
Tikken de lijn in!